about the CD. <laughs> Even though the Passover did not begin for another week, Jerusalem was filled with pilgrims from all points of the compass. Every available lodging was filled, and on the hills around Jerusalem, there were tents, people had built brush arbors, campfires could be seen in the evening, the city was stretched to the seams. Sooner or later, every conversation seemed to get around to the miracle worker, the Rabbi Jesus. Those from distant provinces had never seen him. They had heard of him. But there were many eyewitnesses, and there were some who had been present when he had fed the 5,000, and some present when he had fed the 4,000. Some were there had actually been in Bethany and seen him when Lazarus was raised from the tomb. A lot of them talked about the confrontation he'd had with the Pharisees and gloated over the fact that every time it happened, the Pharisees were bested by Jesus. And then some said, but when we hear him teach, we have never heard such authority. And some said, you know, there was a time when the chief priests and Pharisees sent some soldiers to arrest him, and they came back empty-handed, and when they were asked, why didn't you arrest him? The reply was strange because they said, we never heard anyone talk like this before. The big question was, will he come to the Passover? And that was the atmosphere and the scene prior to the event that we celebrate today, the triumphal entry. Let me read Mark's account beginning in verse 1 of chapter 11. As they approached Jerusalem, Bethpage and Bethany near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it. Bring it here. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? You say, The Lord has need of it, and immediately he will send it back here. They went away found a colt tied at the door outside in the street, and they untied it. Some of the bystanders were saying, What are you doing untying the colt? They spoke to them just as Jesus had told them, and they gave them permission. They brought the colt to Jesus, put their coats on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their coats in the road, and others spread leafy branches which they had cut from the fields. Those who went in front and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus entered Jerusalem and came into the temple. And after looking around at everything, he left for Bethany with the twelve, since it was already late. Now, if you have been around TCF for very long, as I begin speaking this morning, you're going to say, 
I've heard that before, and you have. Because when it is ever my privilege to speak on any of these Holy Day services, it seems to me I can do no better than just to tell the story and allow the Holy Spirit to cause application to be made in your heart as we tell the story and recite the events of this marvelous, marvelous thing that we celebrate, the triumphal entry. So today we're going to relive that event in its entirety. We're going to harmonize the four gospel accounts, Matthew 20, verse 17 through 21, 17, Mark 10, 32 through 11, 19, Luke 18, 31 through 19, 48, and John 11, 54 through 12, 19. The story really begins several weeks prior to the triumphal entry. We can't be certain, but what the story begins really in late January or early February of the year. Jesus' dear friend Lazarus had died, and after four days the body had begun to decay, and yet Jesus stood before the tomb and cried out, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus did come forth his decaying body fully restored, the man was alive. Frankly, I've often wondered if Lazarus complained. (laughs) I've seen the glory of God and you brought me back here. (laughs) But on that occasion, no one doubted that Jesus was a miracle worker. And some, even from that moment on, began to proclaim, He's the Messiah. But some, even though they witnessed that marvelous miracle blinded by religious prejudice, rushed back to the Pharisees to tell the Jewish leaders about what had happened in Bethany, and the leaders were infuriated because Jesus already had a following, and now they knew the following would be greater. And from that moment on, they began to deliberately devise a plot to kill him. Now it wasn't God's appointed time for Jesus to die. And so he led his apostles out of Bethany. They went north to the village of Ephraim in the wilderness of Jeshmion on the border of Galilee and Samaria. We don't know how long they stayed there. They stayed there for several days away from the crowd where Jesus had time alone with his disciples. And then after a while, they walked east along the border back toward Perea. And as they were walking along the road one day, they heard ten lepers in the distance shouting out, Unclean! Unclean! Because by law, that's what they had to say so no one would come close to them. But Jesus, the very Son of God, the Divine One, did not heed their cries of unclean but rather receive them. And on that day, they received their healing. Now the law of Moses said that if you were a leper and you received a healing, you had to rush to the priest and the priest would examine you to make sure it was a real miracle. And so indeed, that's what the ten did. They began to leave to rush to their separate villages to see their priests. 
but one of them hadn't gone far until suddenly his heart was overwhelmed with gratitude. He turned back to Jesus to express thanksgiving. And you recall Jesus said, were there not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? It's interesting that it was a Samaritan who came back to express gratitude. They crossed the Jordan River and returned to Perea where they had been prior to their journey to Bethany to heal Lazarus. And here they spent again an extended time. Now Luke chapter 17 verse 11 and following gives us the fullest record of what happened while they were in Perea. Matthew and Mark tell of three of the events, but Luke tells several. First of all, Jesus brought a very extensive sermon on the second coming. There were several parables that he gave on prayer. He had the discussion and really debate with the Pharisees on the subject of divorce. This is where one of the two times where Jesus blessed the little children and and evidently they sat on his lap as one by one he pronounced a blessing upon them and said, let the little children come unto me. Here is where he had the account, the encounter with the rich young ruler who came to him and said, Lord, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, keep the commandments. Which ones? And Jesus recited three of them. All these I've done from my youth up. And Jesus looked at him and said, you lack one thing. Sell all that you have and give to the poor and come follow me. And the man went away sorrowful because he was wealthy and his money was more important to him than following Jesus. And that prompted Jesus then to deliver a sermon, a sermon on rewards and suffering. As the time of the Passover drew near, Jesus gathered his disciples to him, and they left Perea and walked a short distance west, until they encountered the Jordan Road. The Jordan Road was on the east side of Jordan. Jews from Galilee, because the Samaritans were unclean, would not walk through Samaria, so they crossed the Jordan River and walked east of the river south. From Perea, Jesus and his band joined them. The road was crowded with pilgrims as they were journeying south toward Jerusalem. On Wednesday, four days before the triumphal entry, Mark tells us that Jesus had such a severe look on his face and walked ahead. His disciples were afraid to walk beside him because of how he looked, the intensity as he walked toward Jerusalem. But then as the day drew to a close, he took the disciples aside. They went some distance from the road, no doubt built a campfire, and Jesus plainly told them what was ahead. Behold, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes. They will condemn him to death, will deliver him to the Gentiles, They will mock him, spit upon him, 
scourge him, and kill him. Three days later, he will rise again. The disciples were stunned. That was just too much for them to accept. And of course that was because they had a preconceived idea of what the kingdom of God was going to be like and and the role of the Messiah. The Messiah was supposed to reign forever. Jesus was obviously going to be crowned king any day now. His popularity had grown so great. Not only that, he had promised them that they would sit on 12 thrones. Yet he kept saying these things about dying. It just didn't compute. And then, immediately, just after Jesus had talked about all the suffering that was going to fall upon him, something totally out of character the moment happened. Jesus' two cousins, James and John, and their mother, who was Jesus' aunt, she was the sister of Mary, Jesus' mother, came to him, you know, Lord, you've said in your kingdom the disciples will sit on 12 thrones. Now, when that happens... Grant that your cousins, James and John, my sons, their mother was the spokesman, will sit one on your right hand and one on the left. You can almost hear the undertone, after all, we are relatives. (laughs) Jesus said, these are not mine to give, but the Father's who is in heaven. And then... He brought this beautiful teaching about hierarchies in the kingdom of God. He said among the Gentiles, governors lord it over people. But that is not so in my kingdom. In my kingdom, people serve. And then this closing line, so striking, he said, he who is greatest in the kingdom of heaven is slave of all. Not servant, slave. Think of that. That means this morning, I'm everybody's slave, but you're mine. (laughs) Slave of all. Totally disrupting the ambition. Jesus figuratively then spoke of his death and theirs, and the other disciples were angry and began to debate and dispute. And Jesus, again, stopped the argument by his lesson on servant leadership. The next day was Thursday. The next morning they continued their journey south as they approached the Jericho Ford where they would cross the Jordan and then enter upon the Jerusalem road. If you were traveling from Jericho to Jerusalem, it was the Jerusalem road. If you were traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, it was the Jericho road. Going due west from Jericho. Old Jericho, you recall, had been destroyed when Joshua and the Israelites crossed the Jordan. And you remember they walked around the building at rather the walls, as God directed, finally the walls fell. It had never been rebuilt. 
There were some isolated people who lived in the area, but the city was still a pile of rubble as it had always been. But from antiquity, this juncture had been the place where roads from all directions converged for people who were traveling to Jerusalem. And now the great crowd that had traveled with Jesus from the north, merged with a crowd coming up from the south, and merged with those coming from different directions. And now the crowd was so thick, people were walking shoulder to shoulder, probably jostling one another as they came to the ruins of old Jericho. And everyone was talking, Jesus, 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 look, look, Jesus. There was a blind man just outside of old Jericho. And when he heard them talking about Jesus, that name being bandied about and talked about excitedly, he realized that this was the one, the miracle worker, but he had missed him. Jesus had passed by. And so, knowing the area well, he made his way around the walls, the fallen crumble of the city, picked up another beggar, blind beggar, and they were on the other side when Jesus and the crowd meandering came out and they began to cry, Jesus, Jesus, have mercy on us. The crowd was saying, shut up, don't bother him. But Jesus stopped, called them to him and healed them. Oh, oh, the crowd, what are we, look. The blind men are healed. And the excitement grew again. They traveled a short distance then to New Jericho. Now, New Jericho was a magnificent city. Herod had embellished it. He had a palace there. It had a hippodrome. It had an amphitheater. It was the seat of Roman government in that area. And Jesus and the pilgrims then began walking through this magnificent city. Now it also was the headquarters of the Roman IRS. And the chief tax collecting officer was a man named Zacchaeus. Now the Romans, when they collected taxes, they didn't have any Form 1040s or Schedule A's or Schedule C's or SE's. They did it this way. They would put out for bids. We want X number of money from this province, and we want X number of money from this province. Now let's put out for bids a tax collecting company. How much will you promise us if we allow you to collect taxes in this area, and so on and so on. And so different companies, shall we say, bid, and were given the right to collect taxes in those areas. And here's how taxes were collected. Squeeze people as much as you can, just don't kill them. In other words, here's a business. Now, how much, how much can we get out of this business without making it shut down because next year we want to come around and get some more out of it? Levi, one of Jesus' disciples, known as Matthew, was a tax collector. He, he operated a toll booth where caravans passed by, and so the tax collector would look over the caravan and then figure, I wonder how much I can get out of these guys. 
And you see, they always only turned in part of what they got. They kept some for themselves. So every place upon the ladder, there was graft and greed and avarice. And here was Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector, the chief IRS agent of the Roman Empire in New Jericho. And he was a Jew. He was a traitor, and everybody despised him. He was also a short man. (laughs) But here was Jesus. And we can imagine Zacchaeus, first of all, feeling kind of awkward, knowing nobody wanted him around, trying to see over the crowd and can't. And so he made his way through the city, through some back streets probably, and came to a mulberry sycamore tree, and he climbed it, and hiding in the foliage so people would not see him, he was peeking out, watching for Jesus. And Jesus came by. He knew he was there. He looked up in the tree and said, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to stay at your house. Zacchaeus came down, and that day Zacchaeus, the tax collector, gave his heart to Jesus. He said, if I have done anything wrong, I repent, I will give back. And actually, the way he said he would give back, the law of Moses said if you take something illegally or inappropriately or steal it, you have to give it back plus 15%. This man said, I'll give back double. Repentance. And then our Lord made one of the most memorable salvation statements in all of Scripture. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. Jesus spent the night in that home with Zacchaeus. Then on Friday morning, they would have risen early in the morning to begin their journey. They still had 18 miles to get to Jerusalem. And this was the day before Sabbath, and the Sabbath would begin at sunset, so they had to walk that 18 miles before dark. They would have started early in the morning, therefore. And so as they they left, the excitement became increasingly intense. People anticipated Jesus now going to Jerusalem late that evening. Surely he was going to set up a royal monarchy. Tomorrow will be a Sabbath like Jerusalem has never known. At last we'll be free from the Romans. All the glory that the prophets had foretold would descend upon the land. Jesus knew what was going on in their minds. (laughs) And so he stopped. Now, along the way, there were several campsites where people sometimes would stay in their journey between Jericho and Jerusalem. So possibly at one of these campsites, but someplace along the way, Jesus stopped. And he told them the parable of the pounds. There was a certain king who wanted to go to a higher king, an emperor perhaps, and there to assure himself of his rule. And there were some who didn't want him to, and they sent an embassy. But before he left, the king called his servants to him 
and gave each one of them some of his goods to take care of while he was gone. And he was gone for a long, long time. Probably they wondered, is he ever coming back? But one day he did come back, and he called his servants to account. But what Jesus was saying by this parable is this. What you are hoping for isn't going to happen the way that you think. Going away for a while, but I'll be back. As Jesus and those surrounding him near Jerusalem, it was late afternoon. Sabbath wasn't far away. It began at sunset. They were seven-eighths of a mile from the city And Jesus turned aside, instead of proceeding on, he turned aside into the village of Bethany. This is where his friends Mary, Martha, and Lazarus lived. This is where some weeks before Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. And some of the pilgrims followed Jesus and his disciples into Bethany. Some went on to Jerusalem to alert the people, he's in Bethany, he's coming Jesus and his disciples spent the Sabbath resting in Bethany. And then that evening, after the end of the Sabbath, Simon, a man living in Bethany who had been healed of leprosy by Jesus, had a banquet for the Lord. And as they were reclining at the table, Mary came in with an alabaster box containing very expensive ointment. The box and the ointment were worth a full year's salary. And as Jesus was reclining, she approached him, knelt before him, and broke the box and poured out the ointment upon his feet. The perfume filled the air And with her long hair, she wiped his feet. Now the treasure of the group was Judas. He immediately begins to criticize Mary. This is a terrible waste. The ointment could have been sold and give them. We could have given the money to the poor. And Matthew and Mark tell us that the other disciples, and after Judas started, they joined in. Matthew, or rather Mark, tells us that a very strong word, embrimaomai, was used. That's a word that means strong emotion. That's the words that's used concerning Jesus groaning before the tomb of Lazarus. He groaned over the tragedy of the fact that humans have to die, but they were groaning over the loss of money. But you see, there was more to it than that. Judas, the treasure, didn't care beans about the poor. He was an embezzler, and he was always dipping into the bag. I could hear Judas as Jesus one day was teaching to a great crowd, and Jesus walking, Judas walking around the bag, if you have a need, plant a seed. <laughs> but Jesus rebuked them said, let her alone. 
in order that she may keep it for the day of my burial, for the poor you have always with you, but you don't always have me. In this tremendous honor, he said, Truly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done shall also be spoken in memory of her. Hasn't that been true? We know this story. Anytime the gospel is preached, sooner or later this story is told. Jesus probably spent that night in prayer. We don't know for sure. The disciples slept. And the next morning they began walking to Jerusalem. Surrounded by a great crowd, people still coming from on the Jericho-Jerusalem road to Jerusalem. Those that had stayed in Bethany that night began to follow. And there was a crowd coming out of the city to meet him. After they'd gone a short distance, Jesus stopped and said, Go into the village of Bethpage. You'll find there a she-ass and her colt. Untie them, bring them to me. You know the story, you read it a moment ago. They brought the animals to Jesus. They threw their cloaks upon the two of them. Jesus sat on the colt. The disciples led the she-ass so the colt would follow obediently. And they continued their journey. They came to the Mount of Olives, and the path veered to the left, and then around the brow, and Jesus stopped as behold him, as he beheld the beautiful vista of the holy city, the city of Jerusalem. Gleaming in the sun was the beautiful temple of Herod, and pouring out of the city was an entourage, a horde of pilgrims, uh, no doubt led by some who had been with him before. They threw their robes on the ground. They cut palm branches and threw them on the ground. You know, sometimes we, uh, 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 triumphal entry, have people waving. They didn't wave the palms. They cut them and threw them on the ground, making a royal carpet for Jesus to enter Jerusalem. The scene was one of great joy, probably exceeding anything that had ever happened in that city before. Suddenly the disciples and those who were accompanying him, recalling all the great miracles they had seen, began to shout with a loud voice, Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Even the king of Israel and the crowd began to join the disciples in these shouts of praise over and over and over. It was a time of boundless enthusiasm. Jesus was arriving in Jerusalem. The king was coming in the name of the Lord, the king of Israel. And all the kingdom prophecies were about to be fulfilled. Then it happened. Jesus stopped. 
looking down on the city, tears began to course down his cheeks. When he approached, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known in this day even you the things which make for peace, but now they have been hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a bank before you. They will surround you, hem you in on every side, and level you to the ground and your children within you. They will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. This was an echo of the lament that Jesus had uttered some weeks before. When he was traveling in Judea on the way to Jerusalem, some of the Pharisees didn't want him in Jerusalem, though they said, you know, Herod wants to kill you, trying to keep him out of the city. And that's when Jesus lamented, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stoneth those that are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered your children unto me as a hen gathereth her chicks under her wings, but you would not. Henceforth, your house is left unto you desolate. And so this time, when he beheld the holy city, that emotion that he had felt weeks before came back upon him again, and he wept. The mood was one of triumph, yet Jesus shed tears in triumph because of the multitude. Jesus knew that six days later this same crowd would cry out, crucify him. He also knew that less than 40 years later the Romans would come and destroy the city and slaughter its inhabitants and even burn the beautiful temple. Now here's something to think about. As Jesus looked down on Jerusalem and thought of the horrors that would come upon this city about 40 years later, God's compassion and God's love were at odds with one another. God's compassion said, don't let it happen. But God's love said, it has to happen. It must be so. Otherwise, there can be no redemption for the human race. It has to go this way, or all humanity will continue to be lost. God's compassion cried out for one thing. God's love cried out for something else and love won. Seven weeks later on the day of Pentecost, Peter preached the first sermon and declared, This man, delivered over by the predetermined, predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. 
on that day, those who were praising Jesus really were a very mixed multitude. Many of them were in a holiday spirit. They'd just go any direction that the emotion of the crowd carried them. Where's the latest party? <laughs> That's how they would have conducted themselves. Many in the multitude were users. Jesus said, you are not following me and honoring me because of the signs that you have seen, but because I gave you bread and you're wanting some more bread. Others wanted to use Jesus to accomplish their agenda. The zealots had tried and tried and tried to get Jesus to become the king and drive out the Romans. But Jesus would not be used for a political agenda. And we need to remember, Jesus is neither Democrat nor Republican. We cannot use him. Some were intellectually convinced this is the Messiah. But here's an amazing thing. The fear of man was such that they wouldn't confess him. They were afraid of being kicked out of the synagogue. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> Not so. There also were those who wanted the praises to stop. They told Jesus, tell everybody to shut up, especially these kids. <laughs> and Jesus said, if they shut up, the very stones will cry out praises. But there also were those in that crowd who knew who he was and were not afraid to say so. Lazarus would have been there. Mary and Martha would have been there. Mag Mary Magdalene was there. The man born blind was there. Blind Bartimaeus and his friends were there. Zacchaeus was there. The twelve were there. Indeed, in the crowd were those who knew who he was, and their praises were appropriately honoring him as the Messiah. This morning, that's who we are, isn't it? <laughs> we're of that group. We know who he is, and we honor him appropriately. Let's stand, and in the back of your bulletin are the words, praise him, praise him, if you don't know it. But let's just praise him in closing this morning. Praise him, praise him, Jesus our blessed Redeemer. Sing, O earth, his wonderful love proclaim. Hail him, hail him, highest archangels in glory. Strength and honor give to his holy name. Like a shepherd, Jesus will guard his children. In his arms, he carries them all day long. Praise him, praise him, tell of his excellent greatness. Praise him, praise him, ever in joyful song. Praise him, praise him. Jesus, our blessed Redeemer. For our sins, he suffered and bled and died. 
He our rock, our hope of eternal salvation. Hail Him, hail Him, Jesus the crucified. Sound His praises, Jesus who bore our sorrows. Love unbounded, wonderful, deep, and strong. Praise Him, praise Him, tell of His excellent greatness. Praise Him, praise Him, ever in joyful song. Praise Him, praise Him, Jesus our blessed Redeemer. Heavenly portals, loud with hosannas ring. Jesus, Savior, reigneth forever and ever. Crown Him, crown Him, prophet and priest and king. Christ is coming over the world victorious. Power and glory unto the Lord belong. Praise Him, praise Him, tell of His excellent greatness. Praise Him, praise Him, ever in joyful song. Amen.